The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Man, growing up, that was always sung as the closing hymn, so I feel like we should all leave now. Um, Yeah, right. So I get it as the preacher. Okay, I understand. Uh, Man, it's such an honor to be here at Westminster Abbey Edmond this morning. The Springs is a very special congregation. It's a very special church to myself and Oklahoma Christian. I work at OC. My name's John DeSteiger. And the Springs has the third largest number of faculty and staff, employees that work here, just behind Memorial Road and the Edmund Church. And so, man, the Springs is important. It's really important because of the young people and our college students and hopefully our future college students. I loved my time in the youth class this morning. Uh, Man, I love the comments, I love the questions, I love that they were not afraid to get up and go eat multiple donuts during our class this morning as well. And I am really proud, I I keep cutting out, that's probably me walking around, I want to apologize, but I'm going to keep doing it. So, um, (laughs) I'm really proud of Brett. He's the only minister brave enough to be here while I preach, I am grateful for that. Leah scheduled a medical emergency. Uh, Kelly traveled thousands of miles away out of the country. And I think Ben is being a good father right now on Father's Day. And by the way, happy Father's Day. My sermon has nothing to do with fatherhood, so I want to apologize. Um, I don't really, man, I've been in trouble ever since one of the very first Mother's Day at Oklahoma Christian, when I I was working at Oklahoma Christian early on, I was invited to go preach somewhere, the Bright Angel Church of Christ. My calendar didn't have the holidays in it, and so I accepted this particular Sunday, and it was Mother's Day, and I've been in trouble ever since for that, so I'm not going to be preaching about Father's Day. But I want you to know that I'm very nervous. I have been very nervous actually because of an event that happened when I was 16 years of age. We have some older and younger Osbournes that that grew up with me in Tahlequah, and I've got to tell you about this experience that I had that has shaped me ever since. I was a part of a youth group that was really pretty active. The young men in the youth group often went and preached and did the announcements and the Lord's Supper and did the song service and prayer at a lot of smaller congregations around us. Uh, Keys and Gore and Stillwell, both churches in Stillwell and Westville. One Sunday morning in July, I was invited to go to a place called Moody, Oklahoma. To yeah, okay, I heard the laugh. Okay, all right, that's uh, they were not a Moody set of Christians, but that was the the small suburb of Tahlequah. I was invited to the Moody Church of Christ to preach. I was not invited because I was a good preacher. I was invited because my grandmother, Mama Deem, was related to half of the people in that congregation. So that Sunday morning, we got up. I, um, I drove her in her red Chevy Citation to Moody. I am preaching away. It is a small, small little room, and I am, well, I'm bringing it. I mean, I am on fire with this sermon. In fact, I'm so on fire that I kind of feel like the room is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. I take my jacket off and lay it down, and I just keep preaching, but, man, the temperature keeps rising. And after a few minutes, I notice that 
the vision, my peripheral vision is kind of going away. It's like gray on, on both sides, and it's beginning to work its way toward the middle. Uh, soon I, I can only see tunnel vision here. I, um, the room begins to spin. The next thing I know, I am laying flat on my back on the stage. I have passed out during my own sermon. There, I'm laying there, I open my eyes, there are six adults that are around me, crowded down, hearing an older guy says, his eyes are fluttering, give him room, he needs air, he needs air. They helped me up, and I did what any self-respecting 16-year-old wannabe preacher would, would do. I got back in the pulpit, and I finished my sermon, ladies and gentlemen. Amen, okay, okay. My grandmother, I was her favorite grandchild. If my two sisters were here, they would admit to you that I could do no wrong in the eyes of my grandmother. She loved me deeply and dearly. She never had criticism for me. We get back in the car and I'm wondering, what in the world is she gonna say? I'm driving, she's sitting there, she looks out her side window for a few minutes, and then she looks over to me and she says, well, and I thought, okay, here it comes. She says, well, you don't see that every Sunday morning now, do you? So we get home, I rest in the afternoon, um, go back to church at the South College Church that night. A couple of my buddies came up to me. One of them comes up and says, hey, heard you preached at Moody's this morning. How did it go? I said, it was unbelievable. He said, unbelievable, what do you mean? And I looked around to make sure Mama Dean was not within earshot, and I said, it was unbelievable. Six people came forward during my sermon this morning. <laughs> So if I go down, I want seven of you guys up here, and my story will change, okay? Uh, I promise. Well, I am honored to be here. This, this is really a, a thrill for me. And I was given a topic, and I thought, hey, this is, this is great. This is an easy topic. I can talk about this all day. Now, this is really nervous for me because actually Darla is thrilled. I have the same sermon that I preach over and over and over again, and I'm not giving that this morning. And she was saying hallelujah all the way to church this morning. I get to talk about goodness. I love the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Goodness. Man, that's so easy. I've heard so many sermons about the fruit of the Spirit. Man, have I ever heard a sermon about what goodness is? Okay, well, so how do I use goodness? I use good a lot. I mean, I say good a lot. So I realized that the way I use good and goodness, it's to provide kind of a vague, positive feeling with absolutely no information being imparted. Okay, I come home from work. John, how was your day? Oh, it was good. Well, John, how did you like that meal? It was good. Oh, so you went to a movie this weekend. Was it good? Oh, yeah, it was good. How are things going at OC? Oh, they're good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I have told you nothing in all of that. 
So a couple of weeks ago, I'm actually thinking about this sermon. Darla and I are over in the eastern part of the United States. There's this thing called high pointing. Some people do it. They go to the high point of states across our country. And at every high point in each of our states, there is some sort of a monument. There's some sort of a log book. You can sign your name. There's, there's a little statement that's there. And we thought it'd be kind of fun to start high pointing the United States. Now, we have been to 13 high points. And I know how impressed you are thinking right now that it must be for John and Darla to be making it to 13 high points. Most of them are kind of like the very first one that we went to. Ladies and gentlemen, we went to the high point of the state of Kansas. Okay, think about that, all right? So you're on the interstate, and then you drive off on a dirt road for about 20 miles. You literally are on somebody's farm, and you drive right up through their driveway, and then there's this little fence around this bench, and there's a book there, Welcome to Mount Sunshine. What, what is it? Sunflower, yeah, even worse, Mount Sunflower, okay? You have joy, and, and you can't even tell that it's any higher than anything else across the state. And we signed the book and we said, hey, this is for us, okay? We can do this. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we're in the eastern part of the United States, and we actually hit five different high points. Now, they're not all like the Kansas high point. The Virginia one, Mount Scott, let me tell you about that. You see, it's actually a nine-mile round-trip hike. It's in and it's out. So, so we hike in. We've got our hiking boots. We've got our, our, our hiking sticks. We've got backpacks with water and stuff. It's kind of warm there. We get there. We experience it. It really is pretty cool. You'll hear more just in a second about it. And we're marching back out. Sorry, we're hiking back out. We're not really marching. We're hiking back out. We have gone probably seven miles. And then there is a couple that is coming toward us on the trail. Now, it's kind of funny because I'm actually thinking about this sermon, and what do I say about goodness and good? And this couple, they are just starting the hike. We still have two miles to go until we're completed. And they say to us, hey, how's it going? And I said, it's good, and just marched right on by. Now, what I did not tell them was that I had blisters on both my feet. I was really hot and thirsty. My shoulders were kind of tired because of the walking sticks and because of the backpack I was carrying. I didn't tell them I couldn't wait to get back in the car for the air conditioning. Oh, it's good. Now, what I also didn't tell them was it's a beautiful hike. In fact, the last quarter mile when you're there at the summit, the forest that you walk through maybe is the most enchanted forest I have ever been in. I mean, if there were such things as forest pixies, this is where they live. It was green, and it was damp, and it was just beautiful. They also had herds of wild horses. Well, I say wild horses. They were wild Shetland ponies. And I say they were wild. They, they weren't, I mean, they actually came right up to you, okay? And um, we stop at this one place. And these Shetland ponies start gathering around. And I have one that comes from here, and I have one that comes from here. Remember, they asked me, how's the hike? And I said, it's good. I didn't even tell them the good things. This Shetland pony walks right up here, and this one here, and simultaneously, they begin licking my knees. 
And then I think to myself, I wonder if they've become meat eaters here in, in, out in the wild, and so I need to get away from this. We saw a baby Shetland pony, a foal, and it was the cutest thing. The point is, all of this great stuff was happening, and all I told them was, it's good. So, what is good? Jesus was asked in the book of Mark, a guy came up to him, a rich young ruler. In fact, he was referenced by a question that was asked in class or an answer in class this morning. Rich young man who's doing a lot of good things, and he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? To inherit the to inherit heaven. What do I have to do, good teacher? Before Jesus answers, do you know what he says? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is nobody good except for God. Okay, thanks, Jesus. That doesn't really help me put my sermon together on this, okay? What else do we know about good? Well, what we do know is Peter says that add to your faith goodness and add to your goodness knowledge. I really love that. We need to believe in God, and then we need to change our lives, and those things actually come before we might know everything we think we need to know. Faith, goodness, knowledge. Well, what else do we know about goodness? You know, when God created the earth, man, at the end of days two, three, four, and five, he looked at what he had done, and he said, this is good. At the end of day six, he says, this is very good. So what I know is that goodness is something that God really desires. Now, I, when I preach or teach class, I generally do it out of the New International Version. But in my daily Bible reading, I usually use the message because I like I, I like the way that things are said. They help me think things a little bit more deeply. And so I went to Eugene Peterson and said what he was saying for goodness in this passage. And he essentially says that goodness is a basic holiness that permeates things and people. We are to live a life that God celebrates and that essentially shows that holiness permeates our very being. We're doing the right things. We're treating people well. We are living a good life for God. Okay, so you're sitting there, you're thinking, okay, John, we know all of that stuff, but how does this really help us? What does this really do? Well, I want to share three thoughts about seeking goodness. Three thoughts what we can do or ways that we can live that helps take us to a place that maybe our lives are better and we're seeking truly goodness. We gotta find three things. Here's the first thing I think we gotta find. We have to find an example. Boy, people can tell me stuff, I can read stuff, but when I see somebody doing something that's what really impacts me. And you know, Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. 
So find an example of goodness. And by the way, if goodness is someone who has holiness that permeates their life and who they are around and what they are doing, then you will know it and you will know that it's pleasing God. So a few years ago at Oklahoma Christian, there was a, a young man who had signed up to come to OC and to be a runner on the cross-country team. And he was pretty good. But he also knew, and his family knew, that he was coming to Oklahoma Christian at the time that OC maybe had its greatest runner in history. And maybe one of the greatest collegiate runners who has ever competed. This young man's name was Silas Casario. Now the story's not about Silas. The story's really about this young freshman who came in knowing that he was going to run with Silas for a year or so before he would really have a chance to do well. And his parents understood that their boy was good, but he wasn't this good. So the first cross-country meet came. His parents didn't even come up from out of town, out of state to see it. After the race was over, this young freshman picked up the phone and called his dad. And the conversation kind of went something like this. Hey, Dad. Well, hey, son. Dad, today was the first cross-country race. Oh, how did it go? Dad, I won. Total shocked silence on the other side of the phone. I mean, not the most encouraging from your dad, right? Okay, so, but, Dad, I won. And then the dad responds, what was wrong with Silas? <laughs> wait, 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 don't answer that. Son, you won the race? That's incredible. Oh, man. Okay, let me think about this. Oh, I, know, I know how you did it. You shot off so fast, and you got such a big lead that nobody would catch you, and you crossed the finish line, and you won. Is that how you did it? Uh, no, Dad, not, not exactly. Okay, okay, okay. So here's the deal. You kind of lagged behind a little bit. In fact, you were kind of drafting off of Silas. He was cutting through the wind, and you were able to kind of use less energy, and you followed behind him, and at the end, you just blew past him, and you won this race, and you beat the great Silas Casario. No, no, Dad, that's, that's not it either. Okay, um... You guys are running neck and neck, and, you know, you're staying up with him. At the very end, you lunge over the finish line, and you win. No, no, Dad. Okay, kid, how did you win this race? Well, Dad, it was amazing. The, the, the race started, the gun went off, and, man, Silas and the other OC upperclassmen, they, man, they shot into the lead. They were blowing down the, the course, and so I'm kind of behind. I can't quite keep up, but I see them you know, 25 yards ahead, and then 50 yards ahead, then 100 yards ahead. But, Dad, I'm, in, I'm leading the, the second pack here. And, Dad, I'm watching them as we're going, and, man, they, they, we go into this kind of wooded area, and all of a sudden I see them all shoot off to the right. So the trail went to the right. And I think, okay, that's where I'm going to go also. And, Dad, when I got up there, there was a race official, and he was frantically waving for me to go to the left. So, I mean, I'm a rule keeper, so I, I ran up there. I knew where everybody else went, but I went ahead and turned to the left and ran and ran and ran, and then there was the finish line, and I crossed the finish line. Dad, Silas ran the wrong way in the race, and that's how I won. 
Paul tells us to find an example we can follow. I say that we need an example of good, but we can also find some examples not to follow. Watch for people who can help take us in the right direction. What's the second thing we need? The second thing we need to find and to live goodness, I believe we need to find community. Think about God's people. They always live and worship and operate in community. When Jesus sent his disciples out on what we call the limited commission, he sent them out two by two. Think about the apostles staying together following the death and then following the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the church. The church was together every day. The church spent time together. Paul tells us that we should not operate out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, we need to put the interests of others before our own. In James, we find out that we're to confess to one another and to pray for one another. God calls us to community. And while we are in community, we have the opportunity to live much better lives of goodness for God. So a week ago, I was in Lubbock at the Christian Scholars Conference. Got to hear a gentleman speak. His name was David Brooks. I don't know if you know that name best-selling author, New York Times columnist. He wrote the book, The Road to Character, a few years ago. The most recent book is The Second Mountain. He was telling a story, actually, about the success that arose for him because of that first book he wrote that was so well-regarded, The Road to Character. He said he went on a book tour. On this book tour, He traveled for 99 consecutive days away from his family. He counted that there were 42 meals in a row that he ate by himself. He said being so much by himself, so alone, and frankly so lonely, he began to buy into some lies that the world tells. One of those lies is... Your significance arises out of your success. He began to think that he was something special because he was a best-selling author. But then that made him fear that he wasn't special for any other reason. He also confessed that that time alone, that time by himself, that time away from family, essentially ended his family. The book that he has written now that has just come out, The Second Mountain, he talks about finding significance beyond just those kind of that first mountain of professional significance. And he talks about what's so important is us giving ourselves to something greater, us giving ourselves to community. And that's what God calls us to do. David Brooks has something really interesting to say. Now, Granted, this was a gathering of Christian college folks, but what he says applies not just to them, it applies also to churches, to faith families like the Springs. He said, you know, the whole world out there is lonely. The whole world out there is looking for friends and for support and for community. They are looking for the secret sauce to keep them together. You guys don't realize this, 
you guys have that secret sauce. Christian colleges have it. Churches have it. We have what the world is looking for, and we just take it for granted. To live a life of goodness, we've got to find an example to follow or to decide not to follow. We've got to find community. And really the third thing is to live a life of goodness. Remember, Jesus said, no one is good but God. We need to tie ourselves to Jesus. We need to find Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, talking about baptism don't you know when you're baptized into Christ, you clothe yourselves with Christ? Find an example, find community, find Jesus. John Ortberg uh, wrote a book. The book is called The Life You've Always Wanted. In it, he tells a story about a friend of his, Tom Schmidt. Tom Schmidt was a guy who every week went to the state-run convalescent hospital, and he said it was not pleasant. It wasn't clean. It wasn't happy. Everybody who was there had lots and lots of difficulties, physical difficulties, mental difficulties, emotional difficulties. One day Tom is there, and he goes down a hallway that he had never gone down before. And he sees somebody at the end of the hallway, and he has this flower that he wants to give them. And he gets to this person who's in a wheelchair at the end of the hallway, and as he rounds the corner to, to see her face to face, he realizes why she's there by herself. Her eyes are milky white. She is blind. She has a big hearing aid in. She is essentially deaf. She has cancer, and it has eaten away part of her face. Her mouth is tilted. Her nose is over on the side, and he thinks, this is a person that no one spends any time with, so I'm going to do something special. And he bent down, and he handed her a flower, and he said, I'd like to give you this flower and wish you happy Mother's Day. He was stunned when there was a voice that came back that he could barely understand, but it was clear that she was really, really bright. And she said, thank you for the flower. And then she held it up to smell it. And then she said, is it okay? Is it okay if I give this flower to someone else? You see, I'm blind and I can't enjoy it. And so Tom said, sure, and he got behind her wheelchair and went looking for someone that Mabel could give the flower to. And she comes up to somebody, and she hands it to this person. She says, this flower is, from you, is for you. It's from Jesus. And that's when Tom knew that this was something pretty special. He began to talk to her, and he became to come visit her weekly over the next period of time. And he learned that Mabel had been in this convalescent hospital for 25 years. She was an only child. Her mom had passed away. She, she continued to work on the farm until she got very, very sick with cancer, and she was moved to this hospital. Tom found that he would take his Bible, and he would read the Bible to her, and when he would pause, she would go ahead and continue to quote the scripture that he was reading. Or he would begin to sing songs with her, and she knew all the words to all the songs. There was one period of time where he was studying for finals. He was a college student, and he was so stressed, so many things to think about, and it occurred to him, hey, what does Mabel think about? So he gets back to the hospital, and he said, Mabel, what do you think about? I mean, you're here all alone. 
there's really no one to talk to. You're, you're in bed. You're not mobile. You can't really do anything is what he's thinking to himself. Mabel, what do you think about all by yourself? And here's what Mabel said. Mabel says, I think about how good Jesus is to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who is mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned. But I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And Tom thinks to himself, she lays here hour after hour, day after day, week after week, and she thinks about Jesus, and I can barely keep my mind on Jesus for a five-minute prayer. And when she says, he is all the world to me, that's when Mabel begins to sing a song. She sings, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. You want goodness in your life? You need to find an example. You need to find a community. But what we all really need to do is find Jesus. Would you stand while we sing?